who is a political science professor at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse, although his classes don't specifically discuss uh, Palestine, uh, uh, Hamas, and Israel and the conflict. They're uh, around the edges of Dr. Anthony Chergosky. Good morning, and thanks very much for talking with us. Do you, how often do you see any of that social media posts and shake your head wondering why are those college kids over there getting extra credit to go to a pro-Hamas, pro-Palestine uh, march in their community? I mean, I think we're having important conversations about the role of social media, and not to say that we haven't been having those conversations, but just what people should post on social media and what is appropriate. We've seen examples from high-profile universities, such as New York University and Harvard, where students have posted things that many found offensive and that their employers, in some cases, found offensive, or their future employers. Sure. Yeah. So I think it's a it's a much needed conversation about social media and the role of politics in social media, and what is fair game to post, and what the consequences should be, if any, for people who post things that are out of bounds. Uh, it's something that I think a lot about teaching young people who are just kind of figuring this out. They're figuring out what they believe, they're figuring out what they stand for, they're figuring out what, how to express themselves. Something I think about all the time, and I think it's increasingly urgent given the situation in Israel and Palestine. Right, Well, and I, I sure hope, well, I'm going to get a chance tomorrow to talk uh, about the Biden administration's attempts to take more and more control of social media and what uh, what is being mm-hmm. made available because in uh, their in their opinion, in the administration's opinion, what is being made available is fueling discourse, and so we can't have that. Uh, we, we need to scour the internet and take those opinions down. Uh, a limiting conversation. We'll just tell you what the real deal is and what to think and how to think. Uh, well, not how to think, what to think. That's that's really scary. You were supposed to teach my kids how to think, and then they could make their own decisions. That's why I like to teach the research methods courses, and that's a significant majority of what I teach, because there it's just like, well, how do you learn statistics in order to discover things about the world, and how do you apply principles of effective research in order to try to figure out what is true about the world as opposed to, you know, sure. what you want to be true? Wow, yeah, so we that's talk tough. a lot in, in that class about how yeah, sometimes in politics we think about, like, what should be the case, and, and that's really important. People have ideologies, people have principles, and and that's a necessary part of politics. But kind of in my classes that focus more on those statistical methods, we talk more about like what is as opposed to what should be. And and that's a different type of thinking. And I think it's important to be aware of both types of thinking in politics, to your point, Mike. Right. And I often, even on my program, I get uh, callers and texters who say, first thing we need to do is abolish Whatever it is, and and right off the bat, that's not going to happen. We nobody is going to step forward and say, "Well, elect me," and the first thing I'm going to do is end the NEI, or you know, I'm going to end uh, any the, this educational option. I'm going to throttle back all open conversation on the internet because it fuels nutballs, deplorables, and conservative MAGA idiots who need to be uh, shut down and be quiet. And that's that's not helpful either. If we have no conversation, that's even worse than having way unthrottled education, which is also bad in my opinion. Be polite about it, but I, you got to be able to talk. I, I, 
I, I hear you, Mike. And there's a vibrant conversation right now about the regulations on social media. Right now, we are in what I would say a very outdated regulatory environment. And that just means that we need to figure out, okay, well, we had certain regulations in place for the Internet in the 90s, and how might those regulations be relevant or irrelevant in 2023? I mean, you hear a lot of talk in Washington about maybe regulating social media, but it seems to be a bit caught up in a state of gridlock. Now, where I do think there is some potential for movement is on the TikTok platform, because more and more politicians are viewing that through a national security lens and are concerned about maybe the privacy implications and, and, like I said, the security implications of TikTok. Also, there's, of course, concerns about people getting addicted to the, uh, to the platform and, and maybe, like, the mental health aspects of the platform. TikTok seems to be a bit of a different animal compared to some of these other platforms because more and more politicians do seem to be talking about it in a national security way, where they're just not talking about Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat in that way. So I, I think TikTok might be the low-hanging fruit here in terms of regulations. In, in Wisconsin, for example, Congressman Mike Gallagher from the Green Bay area is very outspoken against TikTok, and there are people on both sides of the aisle who are. Now, as far as Facebook and Google, well, I'm not so sure that there are regulations on the way for them. They might be able to fight them off, or there might just not be the political appetite to do that. Right, and maybe because one is American-owned and the other is Chinese-owned. Think that has anything to uh, do with it? I, I think that has a lot to do with yeah. it, and that's exactly why yeah. I say that TikTok is viewed more through a national security lens than Meta and Facebook are. Uh, of, of course, I think that Meta being based in the United States, Facebook being based in the United States, that certainly affects the politics of the situation. And uh, and, and so I think I, I, I do think that that is why TikTok is a bit of a different animal. Now, there actually was an interesting study that came out yesterday, Mike, from the Pew Research Center. It said 44 percent of TikTok users use it to get news. And that's up from 22 percent of TikTok users who used it to get news three years ago. So that's why I think the conversation around TikTok has taken on a certain sense of urgency, because it increasingly is a platform for news. Indeed, uh, almost half of TikTok users say they use it for news. Right. Well, it's interesting to me, and we're out of time, so I'm going to ask you in a minute to talk with me tomorrow at 820. (laughs) Think about that. Hopefully you're still available because I... We didn't even get to. I'm curious, though, if that if that trend is that young people are getting their news from social media is at some point uh, there an end to people sitting down in front of the TV to watch the news at five o'clock or five thirty because they can't trust what's being delivered to them. I think there's something to the level of trust podcast, social media. That's where the young people are going. Right. And that's uh, and that's good. Thank you. But be sure, you know, there's no way to uh, help them uh, ensure that they kind of shop around for their news, not just go to TikTok and believe everything that you heard or watched or read from one source. All right. 